Um, as uh, if you look around, you can see that uh, there's a fair amount of people missing, and a lot of that is because a lot of people have been under the weather. Um, and so let's just uh, lift up those people, Lord. Uh, we do, we hold up to you, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, those that we know, Father, that have been uh, battling this latest cold and flu. We pray, Lord, that you just strengthen their bodies. We pray, Father, you would bring uh, rest to them this morning. We pray, Lord, that they would in this time draw closer to you. And, and Lord, that there would be opportunities then for people around them to uh, serve them and to, uh, to be a blessing to them. And, and uh, indeed, we pray for their recovery and for their healing. We pray also, Lord, for uh, Phil and Michelle, Katona, Father, as uh, Phil's mom has fallen and broken her hip and needs extra help. And I uh, just pray, Father, you just bring healing to Phil's mom this morning as well. And uh, we hold her up to you. We pray, Lord, that she would uh, uh, move closer to you, Father, in the process. We pray also for young chances. He's been injured, but now is on the road to recovery. Lord, we thank you that his injuries were not... Uh, any more severe and uh, pray Father you just uh, uh, draw close to him and the Waithman family and uh, again uh, help him Lord to recover through uh, this concussion and uh, lastly but not least Lord is uh, a brother Sawyer who's not here with us this morning who's injured his back and and uh, in his busy schedule Lord I just pray that you just uh, give him a healing touch this morning that he would see even through uh, injury, that you have a plan and a purpose for him and for Abby and the Sawyer and the Bardwell family, and just uh, hold him up to you. And we pray for all of those, Lord, that that I'm unaware about, but that we are aware of, Father, that um, that need to be lifted up, that need intercession. Pray, Father, for our hearts to be kindled towards our neighbors and and towards our family and. Uh, Remind us that throughout this week, Father, to be a blessing, to be praying for, be reaching out to, Lord, those that need a hand. And we just worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few of those you may not have known about, uh, Chance Waithman uh, sustained a concussion out at the farm there by Valley, had a big chunk of ice come off of a building and land on him. Now, those of you that know Chase and how active he is, uh, my guess is is that he, like all of us young guys, were climbing a snowbank, trying to get that massive ice dagger, you know, that's just like the perfect sword. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not, but that was a vision I had in my mind. Anyway, and then, of course, uh, Sawyer Bardwell's injured his back, and, and uh, they live up out of Colville, building a house in the process of trying to get their house finished so they can move in. And, and so... Uh, if you haven't met Sawyer, if you see a guy come into church that just just has an oppo- just has this massive figure to him, uh, that Sawyer, big smile and uh, big shoulders, and um, probably one of the busiest guys in Stevens County. This guy's doing everything and building a house, working two jobs, raising a family, the whole nine yards. So be continuing prayer. If you didn't catch their names or unsure, uh, catch one of us, and we'll talk about it afterwards. Well, definitely welcome. Uh, as David says in the announcements time, if you're new, we definitely welcome you here. 
Uh, and definitely holiday greetings, right? It's, uh, man, we're barreling down two weeks. Two weeks, it seems crazy. It seems like just, uh, just a few weeks ago, it was uh, October. And now we're pushing through halfway through December. For those of you who are visiting and, uh, or haven't been here for a spell, we've been working through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And uh, we've made our way to the last few verses in chapter 4. Uh, I say the last few, we'll pick up in Mark 4.35 and read to the end of the chapter. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there, or your cell phone, as long as it's on the Bible app and not on the football game. But if it's on the football game, just you know, give me a little hand signal if we're up, if we're down. I'm joking. I get that cross look every once in a while. I'm joking. We're going to study the Bible and uh, the football game's on record, so we're in good shape. Mark 4, 35 through 41 says this. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, and so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? Now, if you're a Sunday school graduate like I am, I remember really clearly being in the basement up at the old Summit Valley Church, uh, and, and Mrs. Crisp, Don Bowe's sister, Dolores, was our Sunday school teacher, and, and this was one of the stories that we learned and talked about often in Sunday school, and remember that old flannel graph I've mentioned before, those young people here, like, what in the world? But uh, in fact, there was really three stories that I wish that, uh, that she would have been a little bit more animated with. It was this story, it was Noah's Ark, right? And it was Jonah and the whale. And, I, and I'd always kind of wish, I was thinking about that this week, was preparing my notes. I'd always kind of wish that, that she would have been bold enough to just just come in at the last second with a pitcher of water and just pour it right down the old easel, you know, right down the old flannel graph and say, this is what it was like. Because that's what it was like, right? I'd always kind of wish that. And this event here recorded in the Gospels really has some huge implications for us and lessons that really go well beyond just a simple flannel graph Sunday school lesson, not to say that those... Uh, aren't important or that they don't make an imprint. They definitely do. But let's dive into what we just read. Let's dive in and see uh, a little deeper what John Mark has recorded here. And, and we know that John Mark, as we've studied before, that he's gotten the majority of his gospel info from his mentor, Peter. Why is that important? It's, it's important in this regard is that these were firsthand accounts Peter was, he was there. He has a first-hand look, a first-hand feel, a first-hand experience. And Jesus was Jesus, uh, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. 
and here an experienced fisherman, and it was, uh, he was useful in obtaining uh, the boat for Jesus, no doubt, and really the idea that Jesus was in a boat goes back a chapter, if you look back to Mark chapter 3, verse 9, that's where Jesus first said, hey, we're probably going to want a boat, because the people are crushing in, the, 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 the crowds are crushing in, let's get in a boat, and I'll preach from the boat, and essentially, so he was on a floating pulpit, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, had just been teaching and teaching, and, and last week we looked at all these parables in, in the uh, chapter 4 of Mark that he had taught, all from standing in a boat. And here in this passage, Mark really shifts his style in a sense. He shifts down from his normal fast-paced writing to give us a lot of details about this event. Those details, no doubt, they came from the Apostle Peter. Let's look at some of those details. Uh, right from the get-go, verse 35, there's two in, chapter, in verse 35. So one of the details is this is all in the same day. So Jesus had just had this huge, you know, multi-hour sermon from a boat, and, and, and now John Mark says, on the same day. And then he says, when evening had come. He re- is really zeroing in and giving the context of what's going on. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. We'll come back to that statement in a second. But now when they had left the multitude, they, looked, they took him along in the boat as he was. So they got Jesus as he was, and then another little detail is added, and other little boats were also with him. So it wasn't just one boat with just his disciples, it was a multitude of boats. Verse 37 gives us another deal, another detail, excuse me, and he says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. This is all first-person account. This is, this is Peter saying, John Mark, this is how that night went down. This is how it went down. And it went from really good and an awesome sermon and a great church service of that first century to now, boom, we have an immediate crisis. And he's backfilling all of these details. The waves beating against the boat. The fact that the boat was starting to get swamped. Verse 38 says and Another detail, it says, uh, but he was in the stern, speaking of Jesus, he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Great detail. And now in and amongst all these details, the first thing that I want to notice that I think is a lot deeper than just a, a, a casual synopsis of this, this portion of Scripture where Jesus is solving storm issues, which is usually how it's boiled down, there's a promise in here that can't be underscored enough. In that passage, this deal comes back. Let's go back to it in verse 35, where Jesus says to him, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. Really, this whole passage hinges on that statement. Jesus promised to get them from point A to point B. Jesus had spoken a word of direction to his guys, and he made a promise in that statement. Let us go to the other side. That's his intention. That's what he intended to do. I guess I would say this. When Jesus makes a statement, he keeps it. That's pretty simple like Bible understanding. But I think a lot of times it gets lost in the details of our struggles. 
It, it gets lost in the details of, of your storm in life and my storm in life. And, and let me start off by just saying this and kind of setting the stage this way, is that <clears throat> we're either in one of three camps. Either you're on your way into a storm in life, or you're in a storm in life, or you're coming out of a storm in life. Those are, your, those are our three options. There's no option number four. Either you're on your way in, you're currently in, or you're on your way out. And what gets lost in the process of our thinking about our storms in our life is, is that we lose sight of the promise quickly. How do I know that that's true? Because we're people. Because the disciples lost sight of it. When Jesus makes a statement, he keeps it. He doesn't intend to keep it, although there's intention there for sure. It's not a, uh, he's going to work hard 98% of the time to keep it. It's not a, oops, I forgot about keeping it. When Jesus says something, when God says something, they do it. He does it. The disciples were in the boat, doing what they were told, following Jesus' commands, and then the storm comes up. So really, you could really boil it down this way. The disciples, they were in the will of God, and it was still stormy. Now, a lot of culture out there uh, has a lot of different views, and, and there's a certain sect, you know, and you, and you see this stuff on you know, social media where something happens to somebody, well, 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 that's just karma catching up with them, you know. No, that don't work that way. That don't work that way. It's, it's false theology. It's false thinking. No, you can be, and we should as believers expect to be at some point in the will of God, and it be stormy in our lives. Many of us, this is a broad statement about Christianity, many of us receive the gospel under the false pretense of one of two things. One, that life would get better, not worse. Or two, that there wouldn't be any storms. Many, many, many people receive the gospel with that idea in their mind. That Jesus is just going to come in and just swoosh away every bad thing out of their life. And that, and that it's all daisies, it's all lollipops, it's all unicorns. You know, that type of mentality from there forward. And in a sense, they're kind of like the parable of the soils, that person then really becomes that, sh that shallow-soiled person where there might be an immediate response, but it doesn't last. And it doesn't last, he says in chapter 4 in that parable, because when persecu persecution comes, then they fall apart. We must remember that when we're sharing the gospel with people that we don't paint a false picture and put false pretense up there for people to grab onto. So it is possible to be in the will of God and to be in a storm. Now I want to define that. That's what we call a trial or a tribulation. Old-fashioned words that people really don't like to talk about anymore. A trial or a tribulation. If you would go back 150 years in our culture, uh, our culture would view trials and tribulations way different than what we do. our culture does today. 150, 200 years ago, they embraced a trial or a tribulation, not because they were weird, right? It's not that. They embraced a trial or a tribulation 
Because ultimately, they were looking for what was God going to do in their lives through that trial or tribulation. I would suggest to you today that we get back to that idea. Our culture today looks at a trial or tribulation as something to, that, that, we can just, that we can just run from, that we can out-medicate, that we can out-drink, right? That we can out-drug, that we can, you know, we use all forms, porn, you name it, overeating, overspending, you name it. We, we, we go to long lengths to run from this idea that we could be in the will of God and be in a storm or be in a trial or a tribulation. Some biblical examples I wrote down of people that were in the will of God yet still in the storm. Think of Noah. <coughs> Excuse me. Think of Elijah, Moses. Think of the Apostle Paul. And of course, in this biblical account, think of the disciples. Now, it's also it's possible. It's possible then the backside is true too. It's possible to be in rebellion to God's will and to be in a storm. That's where our culture would say, well, you know, uh, kind of this Eastern mysticism, well, karma's kind of catching up with you or, you know, or whatever. You're kind of getting what you deserve. It's possible to be in rebellion to God's will and be in the storm. That's what we call consequences or as what Paul wrote to the Galatians when he said, you don't, God won't be mocked. He won't be mocked. We're going to reap what we sow, Galatians 6, 7. A few examples uh, of being in rebellion to God's will and being in the storm. Well, generally speaking, you could use those same examples and talk about everybody that's left in the story, the human all of humanity in Noah's day. You could think of uh, Jonah. Uh, you could think of Sodom and Gomorrah as uh, people that were in rebellion to God's will and in the midst of a storm. I say Sodom and Gomorrah because it was uh, pretty stormy. You know, uh, <coughs> archaeologists, uh, this is just completely side note, not in my notes, but archaeologists uh, have, have uh, kind of equated, in a sense, uh, what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah to an atomic bomb going off. That's how heavy God's judgment was on those two cities for their, for their wickedness. And uh, so you think about a stormy uh, <laughs> situation of judgment. So how do we know the difference the question is, is how do we know the difference between the two? How do we know if we're in the will of God and in a storm, or if we're in rebellion to God's will and in a storm? How are we able to discern the difference? I'm going to propose to you a very simple answer, and the answer I propose is that's, uh, it all depends on where you stand. Where are we standing? Are we standing in the boat with Christ? Or are we standing somewhere else? Are we standing on the promises that Jesus spoke? Or aren't we? In the storms of life, where will we be found standing? Now let's talk about storms for just a minute. Because it's a real key point to the whole story. When I say a storm, as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, I'm thinking a trial. A trial or a situation or a circumstance that unexpectedly invades your life and threatens your existence. That's kind of the general thought. That's where these guys were. Uh, that's where all of us have been at some point or another. We've been in some sort of a trial, some sort of a situation, some sort of a circumstance that unexpectedly invades 
our lives and threatens our existence. You know, I'm not talking about a storm of, oh man, alive, you know, uh, uh, Rosie's wasn't open this morning, and I didn't get my latte before I got here, you know, and so I'm falling apart. I'm not talking about that type of storm, like, you know, that I need that extra caffeine to get my hands up, right? I'm not talking, that's not a storm. That just means you're a little low on caffeine, but you have extra money in your pocket. That's what that means. That's not a storm. Not by a long shot. Mark 4 is a storm that's life-threatening. This passage in Mark 4 is a a life-threatening storm. And here's here's another way of looking at a storm. I think this is more of the the God intention of the storm. Is this, a, a storm is always designed to increase your faith. This storm was designed, this didn't catch Jesus by surprise. It didn't catch God by surprise. But storms in our lives, life-threatening storms in our lives, in your life and in my life, whether it's, you think back over to the storms you've already faced, and then you can apply this to the storms that you're going to face, that storms are always designed, there's always an opportunity that God builds into each situation that should increase your faith. And so we all find ourselves at this crossroads. Am I going to walk forward? Am I going to have my faith increased as I trust in God? Or am I going to go left or am I going to go right? Am I going to bail? Am I going to bail? Am I going to bail on God because I just don't like it? Am I going to walk away? Am I going to walk away from my marriage? Am I going to walk away from my family? Am I going to walk away from my community? Because I don't, I don't like how bad it's getting. I'm working hard here, bailing water out of life, you know, and away we go and not getting anywhere and it's getting worse. So we'll always have an opportunity. You will always have an opportunity to do the right thing. And it's always a good opportunity to do the right thing. But there always has an element built into every storm where our faith can be increased. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Look there in the passage. Where is your faith? How do we get faith? The word says in Romans, we get faith by hearing God's word. What did Jesus say at the beginning? What was Jesus' word at the beginning of all this? Hey, let's go to the other side. That's all they needed to know in reality. And sometimes that's all we need to know. And we get pretty, we get pretty spun up about having more details. Well, okay, God, if you're going to take me through this, that's fine. Or, or if this is the journey, give me all the details. And God says, sorry, you, didn't, you don't need any more details. Trust in the detail I gave you. Which means that I'm saying, we're going here. When God says that I'm going here, we're going here, that's what he intends to do. And that's where he's going to take us. It's always an opportunity to increase our faith. Always an opportunity to grow. Storms increase our faith because they put us in a place of vulnerability and dependency on God. And in that condition... We have a tendency to be good listeners. That's the fertile ground of being a good listener. I'll say that one more time. Storms increase our faith because they put us in a place of vulnerability and dependency on God. And in that condition, we have a tendency to be a lot better listeners. I know it's true. You know it's true. 
that, that, that you're right to that breaking point, you're right to that crossroads of whatever storm you're in, and you come to the conclusion, am I going to listen to God? Am I going to be a better listener? Am I going to increase my faith because I'm hearing what God's saying? The third part about a storm that can't be missed is that a storm is really, in a sense, a journey of discovery. It's a journey of discovery. In difficult times, we find out a lot about God. We find out a lot about others, and we find out a lot about ourselves. We find out a lot about God when we, when we, in, when we step forward in faith, trusting in Him. We found out, find out a lot about other people, people we're in relationship with in the midst of, of being in crisis. And we find out a lot about ourselves. We can see components of ourselves where we're lacking in faith. We can see components in life where we uh, tend have tendencies to be more fearful or try to do it ourselves in the flesh. And in reality, there's really three storms that surfaced this day on the Sea of Galilee. In a, if you want to look at it a little bit differently, as a result of the physical, natural storm, there's three different types of storms. There's the circumstantial storm that they were in, where you're in God's will in a storm and have really no control. So the circumstances are outside of your control. There's the emotional storm that they were in, there's the emotional storm that we're often in where these guys, and we can say ourselves, that we feared for our lives, they were emotionally unstable because of their circumstance, in other words. We'll get into that in a bit. And the third one, <clears throat> not to be uh, undone by the first two, is there's really there's a theological storm that's, that's brewing here, that's going on where these guys question whether Jesus even cared whether they lived or died. Have you ever had that thought? You ever question whether Jesus really cares whether you live or die, whether your safety is important? Uh, I think that if we're honest, and especially if we have any age to us at all, we could say that that's true. You know, these guys could have thought, hey, hey, you know, uh, as they're growing in their relationship with Jesus at this point, we're only four chapters in, hey, you know, they could kind of have the mentality, well, didn't Jesus come to make everything better? Like, isn't that, isn't that what the Messiah was really for? Is just to make everything better? It, in the moment, it's not better. In the moment, it's dire. You know, and, and, and here, uh, here's the Messiah just sitting there, you know, taking a snooze. Everyone questions God at some point. All of us do. These guys did. Especially when we hear about what God does. Uh, <clears throat> especially when we hear about God, what we hear about God doesn't match up with our experience in the current situation. That's where we start to question God. Is when we hear... And, and it's all true for all of us. We hear some, you know, fantastic events, some miracle that's happened, some big thing that's happened, but that's not happening in my life. That might not have been happening in your life. And you just start to say, well, well, what about me? Like, I'm hearing great things, you know. These guys are hearing that the Messiah is here. They've, they've witnessed the miracles. They've witnessed the healings up to this point anyway. 
This guy's here to make everything better. Well, it's not better right now. And so they question God. And we have that same tendency. If we're going to question God, if we're going to question God's concern for us in the storms, uh, I have a little advice that I've been chewing on for myself. I'll pass it on. If we're going to question God's concern for us in the storms, we better be ready for Him to question our faith. That's a, fair, that's a bit of a fair trade that comes out in this passage, right? They're questioning Jesus' concern for their life. And when, uh, when He speaks, He questions their faith in what He said. And so if, if we're going to, and I'll guarantee you, everybody in this room and everybody downstairs and, and, and believers across the board, we are going to question God's concern for our current storm at some point. And so just be ready. Be ready to, for God to talk to you about where your faith is. Be ready for God to root out all those places really that our faith is misplaced. Be ready for Jesus also to spring into action. Look there at verse 39 where he says, <coughs> after being questioned, really the disciples were questioning Jesus' apathy more than anything, I suppose. But there in 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the winds and the seas obey him? And Jesus is now coming to, to make some statements. And the first one is, Jesus speaks to the storms in our lives. Uh, when Jesus speaks to the storms in our lives, he speaks with authority. That's one of the greatest promises about this whole thing, I, th I think. And, 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 and somewhat fearful, in a good way, we'll get to that in a minute, that when Jesus speaks to your situation, where you think that you're going under the water, right? that, that, you, that, you're, starting to, that you're starting to take it on and, and everything's starting to sink in your life, when Jesus speaks to your situation, He speaks with authority. He's not, he's not coming here with, you know, good suggestions, He's coming to the situation with authority. The, really, it's the same th terminology that we've seen in the first three chapters. Uh, same terminology that, that, terminology that was used when Jesus rebuked and silenced the demons. He speaks with authority. <clears throat> this was then, by all accounts, really as much of a spiritual battle as it was, was a weather crisis. And Jesus addressed this raging storm as a force threatening him and his disciples. The force of the sea was muzzled as Jesus subdued it with the sovereign word of authority. He simply just said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. That doesn't just happen naturally. Uh, in that region and... and uh, uh, I love the geography side of it, and I debated whether to put a lot of that in my notes. But essentially, the Sea of Galilee is like 12 miles long and 8 miles wide at the widest. They figured where they were at roughly uh, based upon where they were and where they were going. It was maybe about 5 miles wide. But what's really intriguing about this component is, is that the Sea of Galilee sits like 600 feet or almost 600 feet below sea level. 
And so you have these, these huge uh, kind of inversions that drop over the mountains and just hammer down on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, erratic storms like this is, are pretty common, actually, in this region, in this area. Uh, that being said, that being said, Jesus speaks with authority. And, and any of you that have been out in a boat know that uh, when a storm comes up, it comes up and then it takes a little time for it to recede. This didn't take any time to recede, the word says. And there was a great calm, the word says. A great calm. These guys were experienced. They were used to being out on the water. And here Jesus speaks with authority. The second thing that Jesus speaks to, Jesus speaks to the root of their emotional struggles and their emotional issues. And he does the same thing for you and for I. He doesn't just dabble around the, you know, the symptoms of the problems of your life as if those are the main issue. Jesus is the great physician, the Word says. He goes right to the key thing. He goes right to the root. He takes a sharp axe when we say, All right, Lord, uh, I've had enough of me. I need more of you. I need you to figure this thing out. Or as these guys were saying, We need help. We're going to die. And Jesus takes an axe right to the root of really the emotional struggle, the emotional storm in their lives. And it comes down to fear or faith. Trust in Him or trust in yourselves. They were working as hard as they can to save themselves. At the end of the day, it never would have worked. Are they going to trust in Him or are they going to trust in themselves? Are we going to trust in Him or are we going to trust in ourselves? <clears throat> There's a component here that I suppose we could label it this way, that the disciples' concern for their lives was justifiable. They feared for their lives. What they did or didn't do with that fear was really the issue. I don't ever want to come across like, like uh, things that are fearful, that, that you just need to not have any fear. It's what we do with our fear that makes a difference. It's what they did with their fear, what they didn't do with their fear, that makes a difference. They failed to trust in what Jesus said. Actually, when the weather was uh, nice and calm and sunny out. You know, in the good times when God says, uh, you know, I'm wanting to take you here. The weather was nice and just got done preaching. Evening's kind of setting on, nice sunset. It all looks good. It all looks nice. And Jesus has spoke a word. Then we forget about that word, and then the storm comes up. Then what do we do with that fear? Because that's exactly how this plays out for these 12 guys. They failed to trust in what Jesus had said when the weather was nice. And it takes faith to trust in a Savior that seems to be asleep in the midst of our storms. God's not sleeping on your storm. Jesus wasn't sleeping on these guys' storm in a sense that, that he had forgot all about or was somehow, you know, unaware, as it were, or, you know, was, was uh, ambivalent to what was going on, you know, or apathetical to it. It takes faith to trust in the Savior that seems to be a ways away. The third thing that Jesus speaks to is he speaks to their theological issues. He speaks to our theological issues, I suppose, in the same way. 
as the storm stopped immediately and Jesus addressed his disciples, then we see this shift. The disciples shifted their fear from circumstances to the ultimate climate controller, you could say. Uh, look there at the end of the passage. Uh, <clears throat> after he questioned them, verse 40, he says, He said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Verse 41, I guess, is what I was thinking. And they feared exceedingly. And they feared exceedingly. What's interesting is now everything's fine, everything's calm, and they're even more fearful after the storm is over than they were while they were trying to bail water out of the boat. Let me say this, though, that I believe that this fear is rightly placed. This fear is rightly placed. This is the fear that we're called to. The shift of circumstances, and in the same way Jesus who created everything by speaking it into existence is now addressing these natural elements, and with a word he brings kind of this peace to their lives, and now they're even more fearful. If the storm that made you fear for your life is stopped with a word, you're going to have a shift in your thinking. That's just normal. That's just normal. Like if there, if there was a, we've all seen kind of like the, the matrix, well, I haven't seen the matrix, but I've seen enough of the bits and pieces of it, you know, where everything kind of just slows down and, you know, and you get like this full perspective and the bullets are slowly whizzing by. And, and, and we have this then shift in our minds of, of what now? What now? And if the storm that made you fear for your life is stopped with just one word from Jesus, your life's going to, your thinking's going to shift. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, Matthew 8 and Luke 8 both record the same events. Matthew says that they marveled. And Luke says in Luke 8 that they marveled and they were afraid. So a little context of what's behind that. But this is a good fear that they're shifting to. Proverbs 9.10, the fear is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good fear to have. Understanding as much as we possibly uh, can who God is brings about a good fear in our life. They are making this shift. Psalms 34.4 says, When we seek the Lord, He answers us and delivers us from our fears. That's a good deliverance. Jesus also said in Matthew 10.28-31, And do not fear those, as He's speaking to His disciples, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice the shift that Jesus is making. It's playing out in Mark 4, that there's a shift from being fearful from your circumstances to being fearful to a, a holy and just and right God. And Jesus says he's the one that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 29 goes on to say, and Jesus teaching his disciples there in Matthew's gospel then about how much God loves his people. He says, and are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, are you more valuable? Are, <clears throat> are you, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is parsing out something here, I think, for all of us 
on a theological level, and he did for his disciples, that's critical. That we understand that, that we're not to fear circumstances when we're in Christ, but there's a good and healthy fear of God that we should all live with. That God is holy and just, and, and we can't just run around and do whatever we wish to do as Christ followers. So the disciples asked a good question back to Mark 4. Man alive, who can this be? Like it put them on their heels. Who, who is this guy? Like they thought they had a pretty good bead on who this guy was up to that point. They'd seen a lot of stuff. They'd experienced a lot of stuff. Now they see this. In the midst of their storm, God brings complete and utter peace and tranquility on the water and with one word, then questions them about their faith. They're like, who is this guy? Who can this be, they say? Well, it can only be the Lord, Jehovah, who only has the power and authority to do these types of things. There's a verse in Psalm, a couple of verses in Psalm chapter 89 that really kind of, in a sense... I suppose you could say that Psalm 89 kind of set up these events in Mark chapter 4, and Luke 8, Matthew 8. Psalm 89 says this, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When the waves rise, you still them. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did in that moment for his guys. And I'm here to say that that's exactly what Jesus will do for each one of us. That's exactly what He'll do. We don't have to depend on ourselves. We don't have to fear the circumstances. We need to trust in what God is going to do, what Jesus is going to do in each situation in our lives. Here in the span of a few moments, the the disciples saw both the complete humanity of Jesus while He rested and the fullness of his deity as he spoke to the situation. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of Christ. That he would, in essence, be in this situation. We're going to see that time and time again as the Gospels play out. But that they, that they would see and that we would get an opportunity to see his complete humanity and the fullness of his deity. They saw Jesus for who he truly was. Truly God and truly man. So worship team wants to come on up. I'll just close with a few a few remarks. If this miracle doesn't speak anything to us, it should speak this is that Jesus has a constant and abiding care for his people. Jesus has a constant and abiding care for his people. In each situation. Not just the big ones. Right? Not just the big situations that, that seem like you know, way beyond our control. For sure in those. But not just in those. That Jesus has a, an abiding care for whatever storm you are either going into or currently in or have just come out of. He cares for you. He cares for me. He cares for all of us. He cared for his guys. Many out there 
and this is not new to our time and space and history, but many out there have kind of this heavy doom and gloom attitude of fear. This idea that, uh, you know, it's uh, that, the, that the boat, if you will, metaphorically, maybe in reality, that the boat's sinking and there's nothing that can be done. The whole ship is going down. I think if there's nothing else that we see in Mark chapter 4 in these verses is, is that uh, the boat's not going to sink with Jesus in it. That's just kind of a simple, simple way to look at it. That the, the boat's not going to sink. That's not, the, that's not the message that we see from Genesis to Revelation that somehow, you know, the Messiah comes and, oops, you know, unexpectedly dies for no reason, you know, in a violent storm. That's not consistent with any of Scripture. The boat is not going to sink with Jesus in it. The real question we have to ask ourselves and that we need to take then and encourage other people is, is that where do we stand? Where, where, where are we in this whole storm? Are we in panic, trying to do all we can do to make it better and not trusting in Christ, full of fear, full of anxiety, trying to medicate, trying to, you know... Uh, all of these, you know, worldly ways of handling things. Are we trusting? Is our faith being increased? Do we embrace the fact that, that storms have a faith increaser at work in our lives? I believe that they do. Are we in the boat with Christ? Are we in the boat with Christ? Let's stand and worship.